If you have sleep apnea and struggle with CPAP, consider that CPAPs were invented in 1980. Do you even remember 1980? Everyone's house had one telephone. There were like four TV channels. Come on. You played video games in arcades and watched movies in theaters. GPS was a folded map and a helpful gas station attendant. And social media was inviting the neighbors to come look at your vacation pictures. A lot has changed since 1980. Now, for people who struggle with CPAP, there's Inspire. Inspire is an implanted device that treats sleep apnea inside your body at the click of a remote. It's the only FDA-approved sleep apnea treatment of its kind. While you sleep, Inspire keeps you breathing normally and resting comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. To learn more, visit InspireSleep.com. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com. In today's episode, I'm joined by someone I'm incredibly excited to chat to because she's definitely the most educated and talented woman I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Um, Sahana Gopur, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you so much, Leo. So we've got three degrees, the PhD, all of the strength and conditioning qualifications, the femtech side of things. You are the coach, the strength and conditioning coach to the Olympic um, British diving team. What haven't you done? Um, I am just saying that for now, I'm trying to discover different opportunities and I've lived by that principle for a very long time. So, um, yeah, uh, excited to see what's, what's coming up. I love that. I feel like you, you take that, um, you take that definition to the extreme, don't you, when it comes to how far you pursue them, because yeah, you've, you've, you've achieved a lot. And I feel like, I mean, I just covered the absolute um, surface there. So feel free to fill in the blanks. Give me the, the background story on, on who you are, how we've ended up here and give me the, the full qualification list. Okay, so um, as a kid, I wanted to study medicine. I wanted to be a surgeon um, from, you know, basically when I was about 14 or 15 years old. Um, I actually struggled to get a position in med school uh, when I applied to the UK um, multiple times. So I didn't get into uh, a program. And as a result, I ended up uh, settling for biology um, as my first degree uh, at UCL. So full, yeah, full disclosure here. Um, I tried and tried to get into uh, med school even since then. So I f- finished in human genetics as my my first degree, and then applied for medicine again. Didn't get in. Decided to get nearer to surgery by looking at you know what people put in you know uh, as surgical tools or you know implants um, in surgery. So I studied um, biomaterials and. Uh, nanotechnology um, and regenerative medicine as my master's. Uh, What I then did was didn't get into med school again. (laughs) And I then fell in love with the process of research through that process. Um, So I started to apply for uh, PhD programs. Um, Through that process, ended up having to do another master's of research program in biomedical research. And then I found my calling for those few years. It was um, all related to stem cell biology, uh, looking at how materials, external materials interact with the body um, and kind of manipulating the whole stem cell environment because they are like the most interesting biological 
um, kind of cell types to work with. Um, and from then on, I was stuck in a you know room doing microscopy a lot of the time. And um, I also was playing sports. So um, as a kid, uh, I did a lot of badminton. So I played um, badminton to approximately kind of 18 years old very seriously um and you know through that process I kept it up through university uh ruptured my ACL as most adolescent <laughs> females do as we know now um and through that process I was like very interested in what um how the human body actually um you know how does injury happen like why does injury happen and started training myself in terms of like strength to be strong for my sport. Um, so this was a very personal kind of journey into sport, but I didn't actually realize that through my PhD, I was getting more and more invested in the, um, in, in this passion for sport, sport and sport science. Um, and yeah, so that, that's what led to the certifications in, in SNC. I started working with clients and yeah, that's all, that's where it began really. I mean, I obviously can't comprehend how you didn't get into medical school, but selfishly, I'm very glad that you didn't because it kind of led you more down the the coaching females and the understanding female physiology route, which is, of course, why we're here today. And I'm, I'm very feel very privileged to be able to learn uh, from you. So, yeah, selfishly, glad that you didn't end up down the medical school route. So, I'd love to circle back around to the ACL injury and, and what we know now about that and the, the potential correlations to the menstrual cycle, but. Before we get into that, I'd love to just know a little bit more about how you ended up more in kind of the femtech space and in particular specialises in coaching females and understanding some of those kind of unique differences between females and, and guys. So tell me that story. Yeah, so I think, again, it started off as a personal journey. So my ACL happened um, while I was playing badminton. My entire body twisted on my knee and I heard the pop. Um, I was actually training for a half marathon at that point, which I couldn't do, uh, which was a few months later, which was very sad. Um, um, but that, yeah, kind of got me into thinking about how it's quite different for someone who does sport in terms of how they train and they they, they stay strong for it. So um, for me, initially, I never saw men and women as different. Like, you know, training is, is training. Um, but the more I looked into it um, at that point... Um, you know, all the papers that were coming out, I was quite well-versed in reading literature. So, you know, papers would always talk about certain kind of study populations where these injuries happen more frequently uh, to the point where it's actually pretty crazy that the risk is six to eight times uh, that of, um, you know, similar aged uh, man. And um, I think at that point, I... I was still quite ignorant of the fact. I was like, okay, fine. Like, you know, we have wider hips and this is why this thing happens. Maybe we need a little bit more, I don't know, like uh, control through the uh, through the hips and things like that. So um, I never looked into the biological basis at that point. Uh, but I think through my SNC journey, as I became a strength coach, um, uh, and this was after my PhD, I missed... Um, science so I was coaching and of course there is a lot of um, science within what we do as strength coaches there's a lot of monitoring there's a lot of testing there's a lot of hypothesis vetting you know this is kind of understanding what is going on with the athlete um, but the the science element was to me um, you know just a 
missing. So what I started to do was to look for companies where, you know, they would need a scientist a couple of days a week. And I reached out, like kind of left, right and center. My emails were literally, hey, I've just finished my PhD. I am looking um, for two days a week. Uh, you, do you need a scientist, um, essentially? Um, so while the AI was... Um, uh, got back to me and that's where my journey with them started uh, it was in its infancy the app was um, not already in the market uh, I had the chance to work with some amazing amazing people who I, I just like kind of you know I learned so much from and uh, through that process uh, my role there was really to go through this journey of um, understanding uh, female exercise physiology and then uh, kind of creating recommendations from what we've seen in, in the research. So um, this was like, you know, uh, kind of a moment where, you know, my mind was absolutely blown, uh, A, by the just the fact that, what, like 6% of all sports science research is actually done in women. And not to say that we are a different species or something like that, but just the fact that it's been ignored and we don't know. Um, so from that, uh, it was like eye-opening in terms of what I would I would study, and uh, to then formulate um, recommendations. Not to say, hey, you need to do X, Y, Z, but more in the sense of, if this is happening, let's help you uncover why. Uh, and I think that's the key point there. So um, the female body is so complex; there's so much we don't know yet. Um, and that, for me, was just like you know, I found kind of my calling. Uh, and it's it's some it's an area of research I will just kind of always stay passionate about. Yeah, amazing. I think that it is crazy how little females are kind of represented in the sports science and mm -hmm. the medical research. I mean, maybe for anyone listening that didn't know that or, or doesn't know why, um, I mean, feel free just to explain quickly, Alec, how has that happened? Say again? How, so we've obviously got a lack of um, females being represented mm -hmm. in the sports science and medical research world. Mm -hmm. But why is that? How has that ended up happening? Yeah, and I think it comes down to the, the element that you, in, historically labs have been um, run by men. Uh, and especially when you look at sports science, uh, there are more men in, in the sporting world. Um, so if more men are doing the research, uh, they are turning a blind eye on um, essentially how the female body is different. Um, so actually, there is a lot of research where both men and women are in the studies, right? So this is around close to about 40%. Um, but you're now saying that there are no differences, so you're actually compiling all that data together, and then you're not looking at the differences that may be there. So you, we could have had that, um, the, the data sets being separated to then understand the differences. And all it needs is a, a little bit more kind of um, understanding of the different physiological states. So if you're looking at a woman who is regularly cycling, that's very different from someone on birth control. And then you have the different types of birth control, which can also be very different within the physiology space. So um, I think there needs to be a certain education and understanding and actually what is good study design. Um, and then people need to start buying in, into that uh, when they apply for grant funding, when they apply for, you know, uh, doing this, this research. Because um, what we know is that 
the bodies are different. Uh, like fundamentally, they are different. So um, how are we then setting up those studies and setting up those, you know, those new research projects uh, with the inclusion um, as as it needs to be? And we also know that if you have women in the studies, um, you need to do the gold standard, which is uh, blood, uh, kind of blood sampling to understand the kind of the hormone levels at every given point. Um, right now, we most grants like they don't they don't have enough money to to incorporate that so instead like how are we monitoring the menstrual cycle are we just using a day counting measure because we know that not all women have a 28 day cycle um and it's like how do you know when they're they're ovulating or not and how do you then distinguish the phases so there are a lot of these different uh points and characteristics to take into account when we talk about including women in research um and i think the complexity has uh, kind of scared people away but from what i've seen in the last decade uh this field is now just evolving and evolving and it's amazing to see that also there are more um female research scientists like leading the way and kind of putting this this path out there to say hey no we are working on it we're all going to come together like more and more women i see who are publishing some amazing data out there and um yeah it's 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 been an amazing like decade i would say yeah yeah it really has i'm just going to i'm I'm not sure if that is kind of going to be in that camera view. So if you wouldn't mind just by pushing sure. the ball over a little bit further, I'm sorry, just in case. That was kind of worrying. Sorry me, about so. that, yeah. Cool. That should, we should be able to edit that part out. But yeah, just in case. I didn't want, obviously one thing we'll do is like repurpose lots of like cool shorts for social media. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe they, if that was in there, they wouldn't be happy. But yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And it's definitely exciting. It's something that when I first got into the fitness industry, it just wasn't being spoke about uh, at all. I couldn't find it anywhere. Obviously, I'm sure eight, nine years ago, people were talking about it, but it just was very hard to find. So it's something that for me was very evident um, that needed to change because I was noticing these huge fluctuations with my clients. And I was like, okay, if me, as like a literally an 18 year old personal trainer that doesn't really know much of anything yet (laughs) because I'm 18 and just getting started. If I'm seeing these fluctuations in my female clients across the month, if I'm seeing this inconsistency in their results in comparison to my male clients, then like surely there's something here. But it almost seemed too obvious. So I was like, who am I to think that there's a problem here that isn't really being spoken about? So for the first few years, I just kind of was like, meh, it is what it is. And then I was like, no, there's like, there's there's patterns here, there's correlations here. Like, let me start looking into this and didn't really find too many people talking about it. It's only more really been the last few years. So yeah, it's an exciting space for sure. Um, but obviously I'm aware that there's lots of really cool stuff that females can learn about their body and how they can apply that to their own training and achieving their own goals. So I'd love to know if there is like a handful of things that you just wish, let's maybe take uh, a woman with a menstrual cycle, not on birth control as the first example. What would you love that woman to know about their own body, their own cycle in in um, comparison to like their training and, and their goals so you know the ri- increased risk of ACL injuries and, and how that's correlated to the cycle could be one but yeah what would you say are your top like three to five things that you'd you'd love a, a woman with a menstrual cycle to know about her body and her training that's an amazing question um, so I think the first step is actually knowing your cycle like the first step is to know the fact that if I, I'm not on birth control means I have a regular cycle now what does my regular cycle mean um how long is that firstly um and having awareness of how her body is changing through those phases so say 
if my cycle is 35 days long it is totally normal and that's fine and if it fluctuates between 31 and 37 days that is also normal and that's fine so knowing your cycle and your variation i think is key because what that allows you to do is ultimately it's telling you that if it's regular um and it falls within a certain variation that means that if you apply and layer up training on top and you still have that um that is your vital sign and it's telling you that you're healthy and that is number 1 so i think there's been a lot of reeducation in this subject where women now appreciate that they have a regular cycle and um i think you know they they are getting much more well versed in with their you know kind of bodies and the literature around that and it's it's amazing to see i would say probably the second thing after you know your cycle is to then understand um individually without looking at anyone else and comparing yourself to anyone else um how do i feel across my cycle so take your period for you know uh, for instance like how are you actually feeling on your period like is it the worst just before your period is it the worst while you're on your period like what is it even bad you know um and and actually understanding whether your cycle is negatively impacting you or actually positively impacting you i think we draw a lot of negative kind of connotations with being on a period um but actually you know like for a lot of women they just go through it and they don't even think about it and you know we don't want to create more barriers for women in terms of um starting to do things and fix things that like just because somebody else is doing it right like what about you like and i think that's that's the second most important thing like what is your cycle actually that's what so is it cute. actually telling you i always die a little bit inside when i see those canva infographics on social media which are like late luteal phase do yoga and then like on your period do gentle cardio and it's like what so for two weeks out of your cycle you're not meant to strength train i just die a bit inside every time i see that and and that's it i think uh with this element of oh okay now now a lot of women know that um is the cycle and performance like what is that relationship that people are interested to in know and it's like this like let's take these statements off social media and people just saying xyz because the thing is what they're actually saying is like that's their lived experience right like when they feel terrible on their peer that's their lived experience and no one is discounting that but to apply it to yourself when you don't really know what you know don't 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 do it because it's it's probably not broken and it's actually you know all all you need to do is actually tune into to what's going on um and yeah i think i think that individual thinking and I go back to this point a lot actually with with the athletes the female athletes I coach um like going through your own journey of experimentation and like experimenting on yourself I think is so key because you know you should build out a curiosity about what your body can achieve and it's like you know a powerhouse full of tools that it's like you know what is the thing that like maybe it's like i i'm going to experiment on how i'm going to get more uh, slow wave sleep or you know rem sleep or whatever it is having those little exper- experimentation things in your in your kit like it's going to tell you so much about yourself and a lot of being 
an athlete and training is about that self discovery and getting on that journey so yeah i think that yeah in a nutshell that's probably my second point in terms of understanding you um and then the third thing would be okay once you've understood yourself what do i need to then fix uh because it's a really it is a stepwise process and it's not a one size fix uh, fits all at all it is um such a process where you are really engaged with your you, with your body but then you're like okay um i'm hit by heavy fatigue and this has happened multiple times like try to put your scientist hat on and do like understand what's going on because then you'll be, be able to see the patterns and when you see the patterns that is then empowering because then you know you can go and find the right people and the tools to then fix it because you know when you surround yourself with a like at least in an elite environment we have a multidisciplinary team um and then we each of those people are experts around the athlete and the coach and in that situation you know like you see my i i notice something with the athlete i help them pick out a pattern we're then able to go and solve that by speaking to the nutritionist nutritionist speaking to the doctor um and then coming up with a strategy that works for that athlete So um yeah really I think it's a stepwise process and a journey that you have to buy into because your cycle is different and it's actually something quite amazing to discover for yourself. Yeah I love that. The word curiosity is is a word that keeps coming up amongst podcast guests and and what you've said there about kind of putting the the scientist hat on I'd love to circle back around to that in terms of like how someone can do that. There's lo- so many things that I want to circle back around to but do you know what I think actually would probably be really useful is if we just take a step back for a minute because this is something that I always take for granted but you reminded me that the majority of females don't understand and that is just what is a healthy menstrual cycle. So obviously most women think it needs to be 28 days. Of course that's not true. That's just the average of what sits in a healthy range but yeah if we could probably be a good idea just to clarify before we move on like what actually is a, a healthy menstrual cycle what's the range what's the kind of blood flow what are the symptoms Yeah so um I think with the healthy cycle obviously the textbook is 28 days but really it can vary anything from like 21 to like uh, 42 days right like it's not I think the the regularity point the variation is quite important uh, to consider so typically you're looking at a variation of 7 to 9 days between cycles between your individual cycles and that is still considered normal and not like late or early and uh, of course as you go through your life when you hit menarche um you're going to be less uh regular uh you will have you know kind of a few changes until your body settles down into this routine um and then that that variation of 7 to 9 days basically uh kicks off i guess with um with uh periods you typically would bleed for anything from like 1 to 6 or 7 days um the blood loss again it's being investigated in terms of what is heavy bleeding because you would only hear from anecdotal evidence mainly in terms of the like the number of like tampons people use or you know but you've never really like got you haven't we haven't got the science really to like go and like dissect from uh you know from the tampons if i then extracted all the blood like how much would come out and what that variation is is all quite complicated um but i think from an individual's perspective to know that um women are quite good at gauging whether they are 
heavily bleeding or not because relative to themselves right um and i think you know um really it it does correlate quite a lot with uh, with the fatigue aspect so you got to be like understanding you know in terms of like how does that play a role in fatigue when you are bleeding heavy because obviously there's like iron loss from blood um and and stuff like that so um yeah i think uh the ovulation piece is also um you know very individual like typically they just put in like okay 14 day 14 you are ovulating um but that is you know i think the next level of that curiosity piece that women should go after uh which day and are you actually ovulating because you can have um a menstrual cycle like you can get a regular period but you can feel pretty like not okay through the the cycle and it may be because you're not ovulating because you need a lot of energy to then again produce that that egg um and mature it like every every month or so so um yeah i think uh definitely looking at when someone can ovulate it can be somewhere between like kind of day 9 up to until like whatever it is like day 20 even really depending on your cycle length but it's not always just in the middle and it can change through that window so um it's also the other sign of being in good health right uh, because you need that surge um uh, to happen every month so yeah i think there's these two big elements the two triggers that you can really track for yourself are definitely the period and 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 the ovulation and when you have those two things you can really start to piece together uh, a lot of what is normal Yeah, brilliant. So hopefully that clarifies for for people yeah what what they're actually looking for and there's definitely a lot more range and fluctuation there than I think often people think. Mm-hmm. Um I'd love to touch on a couple of things you, that you said there though because I think that again at least in my experience of working with female clients a lot of women don't really understand that things like ovulation are kind of a, the main event of the menstrual cycle. They don't understand why we need to care about ovulation. They've never heard of an anovulatory cycle. So yeah, something you mentioned there around obviously if you're not ovulating that's a problem and it requires energy to ovulate. So I'd love to just hear you expand on that a little bit. Like what is an anovulatory cycle? Um why do we need to care about having a healthy menstrual cycle? What why is it our fifth vital sign? Yeah, so I think with the anovulatory cycle, uh, you're looking at uh, estrogen basically coming up gradually through to the first half of the cycle that's the yeah the main hormone that that rises um and the reason being is that hormones take like they need energy to be produced right to be synthesized um it's hugely energy consumptive um and estrogen for us is kind of akin to what like testosterone is for for men it's a, just a very important hormone just in terms of like maintaining your bone health your muscle health your ability to metabolize uh glucose so it shuttles glucose into the muscles which is really good for your kind of like uh you know your blood glucose control um and the ovulation is obviously linked to estrogen but it it is preceded by a different hormone that comes up first so through a surge in that is what like drives the ovulation and um yeah i think uh from a perspective of why it's important it's because the ovulation is actually the output of what 
is happening inside your body. So uh, you need to be able to have enough of the hormone being synthesized to then trigger the ovulation. But like I go back to my last point, which was uh, when you are when you have a regular cycle and then you add training on top and you are you know you're ovulating, then you know you know you're fueling correctly. And uh, so all your normal bodily processes, which are you know just bone turnover and muscle growth and like you know just keeping your lean mass on and your blood sugar control in terms of metabolism all of those things will be regulated by these by these hormones um uh, which then means that you know you're in a really balanced state to then train but then also adapt to the training that you're doing so how would someone track for ovulation if they just want to make sure it's happening or they maybe think that it's it's not happening they maybe got some symptoms of an anovulatory cycle how mm-hmm. would we how would we track for ovulation um, yeah so you could just buy an over the counter uh, test kit uh, at your local pharmacy um, you know typically people are using these things for fertility tracking that's only usually when uh, you know women women kind of buy these uh, these kits uh, so that they know that they're ovulating in that fertile window um, but really it can be used by anyone um, you know if you're interested you could just go and it's a you just pee on a strip and it'll tell you whether uh you're ovulating or not yeah cool and then i think that there is a chance of obviously missing that depending mm-hmm. on if you're not sure where you if you don't know where you're at in your cycle etc so how does um how does body temperature and cervical um mucus fit into that picture in terms of tracking for ovulation yeah so uh like there's a lot of women who are kind of like really in tune with this stuff so uh, they will just track uh, either BBT which is kind of your basal body temperature um, which is essentially uh, going to go up uh, past the point of ovulation so uh, what you see is a typical increase of 0.3 to 0.6 degrees uh, kind of around midpoint of the cycle but again this this changes from woman to woman so if you are tracking your bbt through like a thermometer uh, you can then check whether you know you're ovulating or not uh, obviously there are a lot of other factors that may be influencing your temperature um, and you know uh, you need to do it a few times before you actually know but um, yeah in terms of uh, cervical mucus uh, you know you move from a very like clear liquidy uh, type of mucus to uh, a much more like thick egg white kind of consistency so some women track through that uh, so there are a lot of signs that your body is telling you that this is happening um, and you could use those things to kind of corroborate any kind of um, you know test that you get from from your pharmacy uh, to know to know when it's going on uh, basically but you would choose kind of a midpoint window first uh, see what's going on uh, but again, it comes in with that uh, curiosity and really like looking at what your body is telling you. And if we do end up with anovulatory cycles, mm-hmm. um, just explain a little bit if that's okay, like how that sits on like a, a spectrum which can eventually develop into full-blown HA. What are the issues and risks associated with hypersomatic amenorrhea with not having a menstrual cycle? Yeah, so like I said, I think um, uh, all of it comes down to uh, energy intake and being in energy balance. Um, A lot of it is uh, also to do with how much lean mass you have. So if you have a certain amount of like basically lean mass is uh, is how much muscle you've got uh, in a nutshell. Um, Alongside. Uh, bone mass as well but like essentially you're looking at uh, the minimum energy requirement that you need to uh, sustain yourself in a healthy state and this is important because um, if you go below that minimum threshold of calorie intake um, 
what happens is that your hormones are then not synthesizing and when they're not synthesizing uh you will not ovulate you will not get your period you will not um you will feel fatigued um and basically your body's fighting and competing for resources and because of that you're unable to to then move to that next level um because it's in this constant state of hey you are uh, starving me and i need this minimum amount to sustain myself so um if you're not in the right energy balance um this is when you typically see uh some some signs and the loss of the the vital sign which is the ovulation which is a period as well um but yeah it's all very interlinked to the energy um uh, in a nutshell yeah So because the the reason I kind of asked this is and this is one of the main issues I see in the industry at the moment and I've said this before in other podcasts but I'd love to get your take from it. And the the idea that you are an athlete if you train on purpose is is something that um I believe it was is Dr. Stacy Sims that that first said that when I heard that but the problem that I'm kind of seeing is that fitness in itself has become its own sport, right? That's a, a quote from someone else I can't remember, but fitness in itself has become its own sport. So there's this now there's this whole demographic of women that don't see themselves as athletes because they're not full-time competitive athletes but they are competing in the sport of fitness they're training hard four five six times a week and um, they have got they do competitions uh, we've all just done high rocks there were 17 of us that did it a couple of the girls I did it with um at least one if maybe two have lost their cycle um and they won't listen about trying to eat more so we've got this whole demographic of women that that are athletes they're training like athletes they're even competing like athletes they're doing high rocks they're doing crossfit they're doing other fitness competitions but because they don't see themselves as athletes there's obviously this disconnect and it is causing these problems in terms of obviously losing the menstrual cycle etc and it's really really sad to see and it's obviously hard to coach because obviously women in particular often don't want to up their calories they don't want to risk gaining body fat although a lot of the time they they don't need to and if it's done properly they won't and yeah it's just a little bit of a frustrating problem to see um and obviously especially when it's happening to to females that you care about and your friends or your clients obviously it's quite difficult and i feel like the the added element of why this is such a problem is that most athletes don't have body composition goals right or if they do need to lose body fat or build muscle for their sport they do it away from the sport right they're doing the off season but because these women aren't doing this sport to do it as a sport necessarily they're often doing it as the vehicle to achieve their body composition goals they now care about how they look they're trying to lose body fat or keep their body fat down whilst being an athlete at the same time by definition but they don't see themselves as one and that is kind of like this <laughs> perfect storm horrible cycle of a situation which i just know so many people in and i only see that issue becoming more and more prominent as things like high rocks and crossfit get um get bigger and more popular and yeah i would just love to know i mean one your thoughts on it like how you see that is that something you experience do you work with people that are kind of in that situation and and what you would say to those women um like how do we get them to the other end of that where they do have a healthy cycle they've got a healthy relationship with their body image their food and from an identity standpoint they see themselves as an athlete Yeah um I mean great points there I think um so I, because I work in an aesthetic sport um you see kind of a mirror kind of image of what you just said and it's hard um it is very difficult to change the narrative around this um and I think it actually goes back quite far based on the fact that a lot of this um research is, has historically been done on men and men respond quite 
differently to do um calorie deficits right so if you're looking at a calorie deficit in in essence um and the way and nutrient timing um the way men respond and women respond is quite different um because of the the cycle and how we produce hormones on a daily basis it's quite different so uh we need to make estrogen sometimes we need to make estrogen and progesterone sometimes we need to like drop those hormones sometimes like it's 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 a constantly changing pool and again that is synthesized within fat actually so those hormones are produced from from uh fat um and the thing is that uh when you put make a woman like like not eat before she trains or you know uh, there's like a lack of calories and the deficit is say like really high what happens is that we have a stress response so women typically have a much higher stress response uh, to to this kind of like fasted state than uh, men and you know that comes down to the fact that our hormonal like state is is very different um so instead of saying hey you're going to you i i'm fasted and i'm actually going to use this uh, to then drop the body fat uh, that that's what happens in men in women it's the opposite response where it's like hey you're going to starve me oh because you're going to do it again therefore i'm going to hold on to this body fat because you're going to starve me that's that's literally the stress response of cortisol in women um so when you look at that difference um it does come down to on that kind of um physiological level it is it is different and um if you look at how women may feel better initially uh you know even 6 months after they've lost their 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 cycle they'll still feel okay um the body has this amazing capacity to like take on what you you give it or like what like lack thereof um and it's only after that point that that long term um kind of like loss in this in the cycle you'll actually see that manifest as a like you know you just cannot adapt further because you've just you've just kind of gone through the entire thing and it's like there's nowhere else to go um so i think when you put it in this like like how this is different and what's actually going on in their bodies um and then not to make it overwhelming for them when uh you know you bring it up so i think it's all about you know you can't just say like hey you got to eat more all the time um and this is this doesn't work because you have this different kind of response to like fasted training and and stuff like that um it's not it's not about that it's more about taking the small steps to then get getting there um and realizing that body composition is not just the loss of fat body composition means the gain in lean mass um and i think people kind of struggle with that understanding you know you you say you keep thinking you want to maintain lean mass uh to look a certain way but no you're actually gaining lean mass to look the way you want you want to look in terms of composition. So I think when you think about the smaller steps um for example just t- saying to the athlete okay um uh I need you to uh eat xyz before you come into your training session. Like you come prepared. I need you to be prepared. The, for me this is preparation because uh I need to push you hard in a strength session or um a cardio or like a conditioning session or uh whatever and like get the nutritionist to give you something to eat. Let's see how you do. I want to monitor your performance. So you have to get them to buy into that process, those small steps, 
to then say, okay, I actually feel better uh, during this thing. And they come out and they're like, okay, where is your recovery? Like, what are you having? Like, where's your protein? Um, and then kind of getting them to think about nutrient timing, not that they can't be in a deficit and that's not, not at all the, the case, but what is happening around when their bodies are most stressed, which is during the training session. Also the understanding that you're not actually getting stronger while you train. That happens later, right? Um, and people don't understand that. So it's like, okay, so you're in the most stressed state, therefore you must put in a lot of energy Let's do that. And then once you've done that, okay, you can go into your like, you know, slightly lower deficit. I wouldn't say 800 calorie deficit, but like for women, the calorie deficit uh, is, is much lower. Like you have to be careful with that. And then you can do the deficit later. But during the times of stress and understanding that exercise is a stress stimulus, but it's a stress stimulus that allows you to adapt to stress and keep increasing the threshold then we can uh, we can start, you know, kind of building up. So I think it is very overwhelming and to just change someone's mind just through explaining the science of why that is, um, it, it's it's hard. Um, and like the only way I see it or is, is to get them to buy into smaller things, like break it up um, and get them to actually understand, you know, are you measuring them after? Like how how much better do you feel in your session? Like, you know how much better you're performing, um, and I think that's that's the only thing that you can you can get them to buy into. Yeah, so it's about framing it to take the positives from it. Yep. Okay, you feel better, you're performing better, and you focus on those things as opposed to the potential negatives of <clears throat> oh, I'm worrying about my scale weight going up a, mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a few questions from that. So in terms of the percentage deficit, obviously, yeah, completely agree, and, and women typically can't go as aggressive with it. So. How would you set that up with someone that does want to lose a little bit of body fat in terms of what percentage deficit might they aim for or maybe what rate of um, weight loss from their total weight they might aim for? How maybe that looks across the menstrual cycle? Are there different phases where you might be a bit more aggressive or a bit less aggressive? Or how does that look like in terms of a female wanting to lose a little bit of body fat, but also understands that they should do it alongside their physiology and protect their health? Mm -hmm. um, I think it starts off with where they're at right now. So what is, are they in a healthy body fat percentage right now? Like you have to start off like based on the test that you do today. Um, and then it will really depend on the person. So um, I don't know if they're at sitting at like 14% body fat, like, you just got to educate them be like, hey, no, this is great. That's it. Like, you don't get to go yeah, lower than this. <laughs> no way. Um, and I think, you know, if it's, it's obviously higher than that, um, I think the understanding of, like, building lean mass as the focus is a lot healthier, is a much healthier way to approach it than uh, focusing on, on the fat loss because actually that's going to help you achieve that fat loss, right? So uh, in terms of protein intake, like why, you know, why are we recommending this much protein to have? Like how, what does that mean for a thermic effect of food, right? Like it's going to keep you fuller for longer. That's actually true. Um, but, uh, you know, again, women may stay away from, uh, you know, that like even having 20 grams of protein is like, oh, okay, that's it. Like I can't have more than, than that. But no, it's like, how much are you actually having across the day and how are you like managing your comp 
uh, through your protein intake. And um, and then the third thing would obviously be the timing. So um, if I could pack in as many kind of calories around my training that could sustain me through especially longer training sessions and, um, you know, heavier strength tra- training sessions, then across the day I maybe have to just cut back a little bit so I would go probably the ballpark figures around 300 calories uh, in deficit uh, per day um, and nothing nothing too crazy because I think yeah I think uh, the education for the lean mass and the protein intake needs to be key uh, to make the adaptation and the recovery piece I think is just heavily ignored Uh, to show up again to the gym like day after day um I mean, like, uh, are you training? I the the you know, are you training hard enough? Are you training like, like whatever? Are you training too hard? Like, what does that look like in terms of your recovery, right? And that recovery piece is is something that really, like, I think in the fitness industry, it needs to catch up. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it sounds so simple, obviously, for us, but a lot of people still don't understand that their results come from what they can recover mm-hmm. from. So, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit, if that's okay, because injuries fascinate me, um, and as you've already touched on. You, you hurt your ACL and for a lot of people that obviously is really soul destroying. It can take your identity away. It can take your community away um, as well as dealing with the pain of the injury itself. So injuries are something that really interests me because I couldn't think of anything better than trying to help someone not get injured if possible. Um, and therefore they don't have to go through that process of losing their hobby, potentially gaining weight, losing their community, etc. Right? So of course it's super important. And maybe from a, yeah, maybe from a training standpoint, we can't do maybe quote-unquote injury prevention um, as a generalised rule. But from a female physiology standpoint, there is these extra considerations, right? We do have the fluctuations across the menstrual cycle. We do have the fact that they're maybe overtraining, more likely to be overtraining. They are potentially more likely to be under-eating. They're not consuming maybe as much protein. And for some of them, I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts on where, if you do have hyperinflammatic amenorrhea, does that increase your risk of injury and or does it increase your um, healing time from from an injury? So, yeah, where, where do injuries fall into this when it comes to, to female health? Oh, yeah. So interesting. Um, yeah, I think with uh, with injuries, it's it's a funny one. Uh, I mean, I guess ligament laxity has been there's a little bit of contradictory literature around, you know, uh, whether that's that's the actual reason for um you know, ACL ruptures to happen, uh, for instance. But I think just the fact that, you know, we, we know we see an increased risk, it just means that across the board, we need to be doing something about it. Um, so whether that's kind of like uh, proprioception work, uh, whether that's, you know, like trying to get uh, female athletes, if you can see what like knee valgus looks like, for instance, um, and really working through that, um, you know, potentially there's higher risk uh, uh, women who have uh, a lot of valgus, um, you know, focusing on the hamstring uh, work. It's kind of like what you do with footballers, right? Like why are they on all the Nordics? Um, because, you know, they, they see those hamstring injuries like come in uh, so frequently. Um, and uh, it's, it's a kind of similar thing, like with, uh, with women in general, you need to be kind of strengthening those uh, tissues and ligaments. Um, I think just across the board, even irrespective of of uh, the cycle, because you know if you just do it across the time, then you know it doesn't really matter. Where the injury risk actually uh, comes in is um, typically with this regularity thing of the cycle. So um, if your cycle is irregular. Um, so in the days kind of leading up to your next period, it, it, 
if your cycle is late typically that's when you see a slightly higher risk of uh, injuries to occur and now this is because your body's doing a few things potentially uh, and we don't know the answer for that yet like the research isn't isn't quite there yet uh, but there are um essentially like this uh, fluctuation in hormones where the hormones are now starting to drop uh, to prepare for the next cycle and um when that drops uh, there's like a number of effects on the brain so um just kind of in terms of like your ability to to focus uh, coordination your uh, concentration like a lot of people will have mood swings sometimes brain fog even um and there's a lot of like coordination elements that may change uh, through that period particularly when it's the period is kind of extended uh, due to say a lack in in calorie intake uh, you know prior in the cycle so um yeah i think again having a full view on whether you're actually your your cycle your, your next period is late uh, that gives you an understanding of how you may need to pull back and what you need to do uh in terms of you're not saying hey this risk is risk right it's not saying you will 100% get injured it's just saying hey be aware that something's happened maybe something's changed like try to look back at you know what may have changed in order for this thing to be late were you stressed um stress can be a huge play a huge part in um you know regularity in cycles as well and then try to figure it out from there and just try to be a little bit conservative but um yeah i think for most part um things are heavily related to this this energy balance uh here so when you talk about ha yes definitely um i would say that if you're thinking about um how your injury kind of mitigation works um it's not like you will get injured every time but your focus should then be to get back to to your normal cycle um i think there needs to be a reprioritization of that because um that will then drop your risk potentially right so uh thinking of it in in terms of that in terms of recovery in terms of showing up to sessions better i think uh will will get that that buy in element because yeah people like uh take it for granted that they can show up in whatever way or form and just perform but actually when you're as you go through your fitness journey and you get more serious with it and you understand what your body is capable of um you will like to start getting every 1% that you can um and that means like you know the previous days recovery or the previous two days recovery becomes uh, a very very important part of how you show up uh, on that day. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So say an injury does happen to a mm-hmm. female and they're in a state of HA, whether that's ACL, slip disc, um is there any research to show that the healing time might be longer when you have got that lower or yeah very low hormonal state yeah because i think um uh, injury itself is like an inflammatory state right um your body is also in a more inflamed state when you're in aj uh and you know things are all again solely reliant on rebuilding tissue uh requires more resources um and i go back to this competition element because your body is now having to compete for resources to do one or the other thing uh so how are you going to to achieve that because again if you like are in the already in this age state we know that it can take very long for a woman to get back to her normal self especially if she still continues to train um because that again is is another competing resource uh for for stress so um yeah i think uh, in in a stress state it does 100% take 
like longer to to get back uh, to your, your your kind of uh, previously fit status. But um, again, I think this is something we also see with concussions. Um, women in general take a little bit longer to recover from concussions, uh, and d- based on which phase they're in. Like there is some preliminary evidence to indicate that it can also take longer, um, and you know I would also wouldn't be surprised if you know uh, HA status would also impact um, you know women coming com- coming back from from uh, concussion related injury. So yeah, um, yeah, super interesting in terms of like, but it it again all comes down to the fact that you are uh, in a state where your body is like which which route do I go to? Please provide me with the right tools to go and build and fix things. Yeah. No, I love that. I think we've we've covered kind of the the menstrual cycle and HA quite well there in terms of what's what's normal, what's not, why we need to care about these things, and some training considerations around them. So that same question uh, back to you, I asked earlier, but in birth control. So you're more than welcome to separate this answer if if you feel like that that's relevant or group or ho- all hormonal birth control together. Whatever. I mean, you're you're the one that <laughs> that's going to know the answer. So feel free to separate them. Feel free to group group all hormonal birth control together. But if we have got a woman on hormonal birth control, what would be kind of the top three or so things that you would love that woman to understand about her physiology and how that relates to her training? Mm-hmm. Um, I think with birth control, uh, people, well, at least like. Um, athletes mainly like when when a girl is doing sport at highish level at a young age um they historically have just been put on birth control without any kind of insight or advice as to why that should be so um for most and m- most girls like will continue that for most of their competing careers um so I think when someone gets on birth control, the question should be asked as to why. Um, of course, like like you know, you first just ask yourself a question like, do I need to be on birth control? Answers yes, great, okay. Uh, from that uh, point of view, uh, which birth control uh, should I then opt for? Now this is again a very individual kind of decision. Um, no, being on birth control is not better than being having a cycle and vice versa. Like there is no, it, it's just what works for you and what uh, makes you know what is affecting you least, right? So, um, I think at this point, when you go and ask you know somebody for birth control. I don't really know what the process is, but um, from what I've heard from a lot of people is that they just get put on diff- like a standard pill until they find one that is not impacting them that much, right? Um, which is which is fine, but again, like again, question what you know? Where does that sit in your priority list um, in terms of like okay, I need something to just work for me in a certain way, um, and then and then go for it. Uh, so I think birth control choice question, um, you know, ask questions. Why why have you recommended this to me? Very important question, right? Um, and then within the birth control, there's a spectrum again. So if you have everything from like patches to injections to obviously pills. Uh, within the pills, you have like progesterone only combined. Uh, you have the IUDs. Um, and then out of all of them, if you have to think of it as a spectrum, um, you would say like the IUDs are like the least um, the most similar to a regular cycle, whereas your probably your combined pills are um, are the you know uh, the furthest away. So I think 
in terms of your birth control ask the question why uh, the second thing when you are on the birth control to know whether it actually works for you you would have to start looking at the patterns that it tells you so um knowing that you do not get a regular cycle when you are on combined uh birth control mm-hmm. right you're injecting hormones or you're consuming hormones every day which prevents your own natural hormones from coming up right so knowing that like a lot of women just don't know that uh right so knowing that that for 3 weeks typically you would have that and then your bleed that happens at the end of that is not your real period uh it is a withdrawal bleed and that's because the lack of synthetic hormones is then causing that to happen um and knowing how how you feel between those two phases because it's um uh it can create a lot of side effects and you know uh, your bo- again your body is very different to other people's bodies so you should know like whether that's okay for you or not um and then yeah i think uh from tracking that and then being able to ask questions and it should be a open conversation with your doctor uh and you should be able to get the answers you need uh and not be kind of like shut down i'm uh, um that's really important because you you find like a lot of women are kind of like you know they're not given a choice and they can't ask those questions right so it needs to be more of a safe space to be able to like ask those questions and figure out what's what's best for you i think at that stage Yeah, brilliant. I think yeah, you need to be your own advocate and as you said earlier put that curiosity hat on, right? 100%. I know this next question is potentially a very loaded question. I'm sure you could talk about it for a, a long time and I'm obviously conscious of your time, so feel free to keep it as as concise as you want, but where do you see the future of kind of female health and female training heading? Obviously we were having an interesting conversation before the episode started around even things like barbells, just things that often as, as guys you're you're not even going to really consider, right? So, yeah, I mean there's probably endless ways you can take that that question, but where where would you see the future of female health, training, femtech, um what are you excited about, what are you working on? Um yeah, so I think uh in terms of where I see it going, I like I said in the last decade there's been a boom in um kind of the research and the awareness of the field. Um especially working in sport, it is super exciting to see I I think bringing men into the conversation is going to be the next big thing. Um and I think you know, you having this conversation with me today itself is speaking volumes of what is going to happen. Um so yeah, I think uh it's going to be something which is talked about like, you know, any other performance metric, um you know, any other recovery metric. And uh I'm very excited to see that unfold because as the knowledge is gained across you know different uh different people and different uh professions i think um it can only do good uh for for women because they're going to have you know safer space to discuss what's going on and there's not going to be these taboos around it anymore um the other thing i'm super excited about is probably the um just the research element uh, because that informs what we do today um i think a lot more people are interested because it impacts them right like i think that curiosity is actually building in a lot of women who who train uh now so they want better they are demanding better and that's uh, that's really great to see 
um i do think that there may be some roadblocks um along the way where we sometimes just like take it too far um especially with uh you know where the advice comes from because currently there's a war between uh, research scientists and um fitness influencers i would say where um it's kind of like they are saying completely different things where it's like there is no evidence to indicate that you should train with your cycle whereas the fitness influencers are saying everything in terms of you must train with your cycle and that means you must not put your body through stress for two weeks of the month uh at the end of your cycle so uh this this is probably hopefully going to change uh very soon and you know my thinking is that as we get more well versed in um kind of like uh self uh how do you say it like self experimentation um we're going to understand what that information means for us because even if the research doesn't say things yet that's totally fine because our lived experiences count and we're only going to be kind of supported by that by that evidence uh, with time and and that's okay i just um you know the roadblocks are seen where you know you're actually creating more barriers uh for women in fitness um because if i can get someone to move today irrespective of where they are in their cycle i will take that any day over someone who is like oh no no you're going to get your period let's sit on the couch right why do we need more barriers like that that is just yeah, not what we stand for it is absolutely not what we stand for this is not a point of like negative uh, energy and fear mongering this is a point of saying hey women are like absolute beasts they can like what look at look at what they can do right like look at how they can go through all these life stages take on any kind of birth control like still perform to this level like get pregnant um you know feed a child like all these amazing elements of being a woman and we're just learning about the female body right now so i just wish like there would be a clear kind of sight uh to that um uh without any barrier so i see kind of spaces where women are not afraid to um go ahead through their strength training journey in particular where they're able to like walk into a gym and it's normal to see a woman occupy space in a gym and lift weights um and you know people are not like looking at her being like why you know why is she doing that she doesn't get to be there um and yeah it's just this uh yeah the the fear around you know building muscle and like you know the bod- the the perception of what body should look like you know just kind of f- throwing that out the door um and just kind of enjoying and celebrating what your body is capable of um uh, which is it's not caught on yet but it it will uh, it's changing uh, every single day i can see that um and and just kind of yeah celebrating the you know what what it can actually achieve i think is is going to be where it's very good i love that yeah. i'm excited i'm excited for that for sure um we've covered a lot of amazing stuff here but is there anything else that you would like to to touch on any points that you've made that you feel like you'd elaborate on or any other areas in the, the in under female health that you feel like you'd like to chat a little bit about Um yeah I think it just goes back to circles back to the the whole point of um you know how things are changing every day and getting the right information is seemingly hard um but to be able to I think uh kindle a level of curiosity that you're not afraid to ask questions 
um, to to get your answers, whether that's from your doctor and or whether that's from like the scientific community or whether that's from um, you know your coach and the and the people around you. I think um, understanding more about your body is what will get you places, uh, at least in this day and age. Because yeah, I mean, I guess personalized healthcare is is moving at a crazy fast rate, um, and with that, hopefully, some amazing things will will come and learnings will come. So. Um, yeah keep the curiosity going <laughs> yeah I love that um, where can people find out a little bit more about yourself about potentially working with you your resources media and yeah just what what are your links um, yeah so I am on Instagram but I, I really should be posting more <laughs> um, uh, my uh, name on Insta is Sahana Hops um, I'm also on LinkedIn as Sahana Gopal and uh, yeah um, th- those are the two places you can find and is there anything that you're working on at the moment that you'd like to share with the audience? Anything that they can check out? Any projects? Um, yes. Well, so I am currently in the process of uh, manufacturing a strength training equipment brand, um, primarily focused on uh, barbells um, and uh, and plates. And, you know, I think uh, in my journey of fitness, um, I obviously went through, like, many different types of fitness uh, and, you know, finally landed on, um, you know, strength training quite frequently and Olympic weightlifting. Um, So for me, I think like, you know, if you have the ability to get into that type of training uh, and I feel like everyone should at least be strength training uh, for the sport or for the fitness that they do. um, You know, uh, for me, it's like about creating a uh, a brand um, uh, for, yeah, uh, which is able to kind of allow access uh, for different people to experience what that's what that's like. Um, I think it's a it's a feeling which is almost like meditative in a way when you when you do enjoy your strength training and you think about pushing your body to the very limit. Um, so for me, it's like when I hold on to a barbell, whether that's like a you know an Alico, like I know what I'm lifting on, and like I don't even have to think about it in terms of how. Uh, it feels through my performance and you know like I am very excited about creating a a brand which is able to also cater to um, to women to men in different kind of fitness contexts Um, so yeah um, heavily into manufacturing at the moment yeah it's exciting I'm sure um, your once a month post on Instagram (laughs) will be about the uh, will be an update on those barbells when when there's something to post definitely (laughs) thank you so much for joining us here today it's been great thank you I've got a feeling that this will be an episode that I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of questions from so hopefully maybe at some point in the future we can get a part two in and and kind of flush out some of those subjects in a bit more detail and as you said it's an ever-evolving space so I'm sure there'll be lots of exciting updates that we could chat about as well amazing thank you so much Leo thank you so much for coming in today 